Hey everyone, this is Tony, and welcome to another episode of the official OCPHA podcast. And today, we have a very special guest, our new CEO, a fairly new CEO of CPHA, Susan Bonilla. And today, we're going to be speaking a little bit about, you know, her role as it is now and her vision in terms of advocacy for the pharmacy profession. So thank you so much, Susan, for being on the podcast. How are you doing? I am really pleased to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Tony. And I look forward to our conversation today. Of course, of course. And, you know, just for, you know, before we get into like the details of, you know, advocacy for the profession and um, other things like that, can you kind of give the listeners a little bit more about your background and yourself? Yes, um, it's a very, uh, I think, unusual pathway that I have taken professionally to uh, end up here as the CEO for the California Pharmacists Association. I started out professionally as a high school English teacher. And so I do um, really enjoy education. I enjoy being a lifelong learner myself. And then I also enjoy approaching a lot of things from the point of view of education and the fact that sometimes we make decisions without having everything we need <laughs> to know. And uh, that, that, that once we give people information, it's a better outcome for everybody. But um, from being a high school uh, English teacher, I went into a public office. I, I was elected to our city council in Concord, California. And I, I will say I, I originally was from Southern California. We transplanted to the Bay Area about 30 years ago, uh, but originally from Pasadena area. And then in Concord, California, I was elected to city council. And from there... I ended up finding out that I, I really enjoyed that role of uh, impacting policy uh, and ran for the Contra Costa County Board of Supervisors um, and served in that position. And then from there, went to the California State Assembly. And uh, so it's not a normal pathway, but it was in the assembly where I learned about the issues impacting policy. I chaired the Business and Professions Committee when SB 493 actually came through the committee. Uh, and that's where I became very, very interested in the role of pharmacists around the implementation of our Affordable Care Act, Covered California, and realized, oh my goodness, uh, pharmacists are a huge piece of the solution to access and to affordability in healthcare. And so to be able to leave the assembly and come into this role as CEO for me is really full circle in many ways. Um, and I'm really looking forward to what we're going to be able to accomplish together. Awesome. That's really cool that, you know, you were able to find out more about pharmacy while working with the, you know, St Senate bill uh, 493. And, you know, like for your transition, was that like kind of difficult to go from that political side into being the CEO of CPHA? Was there any kind of like differences that you had to um, I guess new skills you have to learn to take on this role, or did you have a lot of the skills set in place from your experience already? Well, I left the assembly in 2016 and actually worked as the California director for another nonprofit organization uh, that was involved in advocacy around children and education for three years before I came to CPHA this last spring. So um, I had a bit of a transition, which was very helpful because I have to say, coming out of the state assembly, it, it's a little bit like being a 
you know, a scuba diver and you're surfacing and you actually need some time to readjust. And so the good news is I was able to do that in my previous position with Council for a Strong America, the nonprofit I worked for for the last three years before coming to CPHA. But you do raise an interesting um, question and, and there is quite a difference, and it, but it's a really positive difference. And I'll tell you one of the things I appreciate the most uh, leaving the assembly, even though I thoroughly enjoyed the time uh, there, is that is such a highly, highly internally competitive environment. Uh, it is a bit very cutthroat. <laughs> you know, even with your, within your own caucus, whether it's the Democratic caucus or the Republican caucus, you're always watching your back when you're elected. You don't know if someone's going to steal one of your bills and, you know, take credit for it or, you know, who's doing what in, in what dark corner or back room. And one of the wonderful things about coming to CPHA and, and into really the nonprofit world is the fact that we're able to so much more transparently work together for one common goal. And that, that high level of kind of inter, you know, behind the scenes competition isn't there because we really all know what we're trying to accomplish and we, we understand we're stronger going for that goal together. And that's something I really appreciate about being in the nonprofit realm, the association world, uh, is that we're on the same page. That's really cool. So, so then now that you're CEO of, you know, CPHA, I guess one of the, the questions that I'm always curious about is, uh, what are your, you know, current responsibilities? You know, chief executive officer, that's a very, uh, you know, general sounding term. And it's kind of hard to understand a little bit about like, what exactly is it that you're responsible for doing for the organization? Um, yeah, and I'll tell you, I started March 3rd, and two weeks later, the 16th, we went home and started work remotely. So that added an extra layer of uh, complexity to trying to come in. And you know, normally what you would do your first three months as CEO is really uh, get to know your staff very well, get to know all the members, spend a lot of people time, right? It's about relationships and so I would say the very first thing uh, that, that is necessary is to build strong relationships. Well, you know, with COVID uh, and shelter in place and things through Zoom, I've met a lot of members through Zoom, but it's not the same. And so I would say this has been a non-traditional launch <laughs> as a CEO with added complications. But the first role, as I said, is, you know, building the relationships and really, you know, observing and understanding where is the association, where is the staff, uh, what is needed, um, doing some, you know, evaluation and observation. And as a CEO, you know, one of the most important things to look at really is the, the financial stability and sustainability of the organization. That impacts everything. It impacts your staffing levels, your ability to do your advocacy well, and it is it's critically important. And so one of the most important parts of my job, and, and honestly, maybe this is a silver lining, and I'm always looking for silver linings <laughs> from, from COVID, is if I hadn't had COVID, um, I would have been spending a lot of time traveling and meeting everybody, which would have been great. But because I couldn't, I, I have been able to spend a lot more time internal to the organization. So we have put in a number of changes around the ways that we are processes, how we are taking care of our finances, 
We have come into the 21st century. We're using more technology internally in the organization, which is a time saver and an improvement and, and will help our performance. Because not only did our did I replace a, a CEO, you know, our past CEO, but the day before I, I came in, our um, chief financial officer also let the board know that he was um, moving on uh, and not going to to stay in the organization. He's moving out of state, and and uh, so I had that added transition around um, all of the financial elements of of the association. So um, the fact that we were able to really focus, we have now an outside uh, CFO uh, on contract. But she's been with the organization previously, Shauna Fitzgerald. She does a wonderful job. So Shauna and I have have been spending hours and hours together working around not only budget issues, but but just process issues. And so I think that is a side of of the CEO world that maybe a lot of people don't don't see it because it's not outward facing. But, you know, I'm a really big believer in looking at your foundation, making sure you're stable. Uh, so that you can then build. And so that's where my focus has been. We did a staff reorganization also. Unfortunately, we did have to um, lay off two staff members because of our decrease in revenues were dramatic with the cancellation of WPE. And so we also have done a reorganization. We've done new job descriptions uh, and are redeploying our staff in a way that I feel is um, going to be more effective and and uh, also trying to gain some efficiencies. So uh, that's the phase we're in looking at the brand new strategic plan. And if you haven't gone on the website, we have the the five-year strategic plan is is there on our website, and it's my guidance document. And my job as a CEO is to take the vision of the board and work with the board on the strategies to actually implement that vision. And then the, the other job for the CEO is all of the actual day-to-day tactical staff management and how are we going to make this vision become a reality? What are the nuts and bolts that need to, you know, be in place to make these, you know, various elements of the strategic plan happen? That's a really cool. I, like, I didn't know, like, I didn't know there were like so many different details that, you know, uh, you had to be part of, especially with the, the CFO issue, which is, I guess, very unexpected for you. <laughs> um, but yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you were able to navigate through that as well. So um, yeah, it does sound like a very non-traditional onboarding. And I guess like I also wanted to uh, jump back to when you were talking about the vision. And uh, I guess for you, what is what has been your uh, vision with what you want to accomplish as CEO for CPHA? Mm-hmm. I think my driving motivation uh, has been around the issue of what do the people of California need to be living a healthier and better life? And and that's been, you know, driving motivation for me from being a public school teacher to being uh, in elected office. And now in this role is how, how are we helping the people around us? How are we making California a better and healthier place to live? And with that motivation, I see the profession of pharmacy as one of the key solutions to achieving one of the most important goals that I think we all share. And that is, as I said at the very beginning, the issue of increasing everyone's access to a healthcare provider in the interest of them actually having improved health outcomes. And the fact that we could do this in a manner that could be actually affordable. 
And so when I'm talking sometimes to students or, or some of our younger members, I, I remind them of the um, you know presidential early days of the presidential campaign and that we've just gone through where there's a lot of talk about healthcare for all or Medicare for all. How are we going to actually achieve that? And, and as I, when I served in the assembly, we were implementing, I served six years on the health committee while we implemented the Affordable Care Act here in California. And now we call that Covered California. But there's always been this problem, access and cost. And these are intractable and very chronic problems that we have around healthcare in California and, and really the nation. And I look at the profession of pharmacy and I'll, all I see is solutions. I see that it is the role of the pharmacist in all of the different practice settings to actually increase the, the quality of care that the patient is receiving, that they are more accessible and they are more present than many of the other healthcare providers um, and that they are able to do this really transformation of healthcare and in an affordable manner. Um, now, the problem we have right now is clearly the government in California thinks that pharmacists should be losing money when they are doing their jobs. And that is not a solution. And that is very short-sighted and doesn't work uh, for the individual pharmacists or for the profession. And frankly, it doesn't work for our healthcare system. So what really my vision would be to make sure that the profession of pharmacy and pharmacists are actively engaged as part of the giant healthcare system that we are looking at and, and making sure that their role is helping the system function in a much more effective way to meet the health needs of California. When I, when I hear the results of medication management programs that are happening, when I hear what, you know, that you can keep someone with asthma out of the emergency room, that a, that a diabetic can live, live a much healthier life with the intervention and help and, and care of a pharmacist, I'm just like, we've got to be doing this. I mean, people don't know this. We have to make sure. And this is where I guess I put on my educator hat and say, we've got to get into that legislature and start educating them all on what they're missing out on right now by not um, including pharmacists as in, in the true highest level of their profession and, and doing reimbursements in the manner they should be and supporting the profession in the manner they should be. So that's my vision, really, is that motivated by the needs of Californians and knowing that, you know, if pharmacy can can enter into the, the, the place of prominence where they need to be, we will have a healthier California, which will help everybody. It will help the economy. It will help children get better educated. You know, there are so many benefits. It's, yes, it's a health benefit, but it's more than a health benefit. Um, you know, when a child's uh, in the ER with an asthma attack, they're missing school. And so there are so many ways that and so many reasons that this is a very important mission to accomplish. And, and that's why I, I really love my job, because I, I believe so deeply that it is something that will radically alter the quality of life uh, for everyone in our state. And so I, I believe very deeply that it's a, an imperative that we work to get the profession of pharmacy where it needs to be within the health system. Wow, that was really well said. You know, thank you for sharing that. One of the things that, you know, kind of bounces around in the community of pharmacists is that the organization, CPHA, their CEO 
is not a pharmacist. Uh, you are not a pharmacist. The previous CEO was not a pharmacist. And I, I guess, like, what do you have to say to the individuals who believe that it should be a pharmacist who leads the organization? Or maybe they, they just don't appreciate that it is a non-pharmacist being the CEO? No, I think that's a really good question to, to have. And I think that having the voice, the expertise, and the perspective of a pharmacist is very, very important. And I am very uh, happy to have a pharmacist on board as part of my executive team. And that is an action I actually took was with our pharmacist who is on staff promoted him into a vice president role because I do feel very strongly that that perspective and voice is is incredibly important. In terms of the, the broader question, as I uh, looked at the profession and where we are, I really felt that, and, and because this was a question asked of me and, and when I pondered um, in the process of, of applying for the position, and, and that was that Right now, where where we are as a profession, this role of educating the state legislature, decision makers, policy makers, and a and frankly a government bureaucracy that has been resistant to the the profession of pharmacy in many ways. That what was the most important uh, element right now was to have a person in place who was able to go and be an the advocate for the profession. And in, as I just described, my vision and the um, I really believe as the uh, motivating factors for why pharmacy needs to be advanced, it's a very broad vision. And I think my voice, and, and I think I am well suited to talk about why we need to make the changes that need to be made within the state of California to really have pharmacy working at the very top of profession because it impacts so many other professions, success, and the economy of the state as a whole. And also one thing I believe I do bring from my years in the state assembly is the relationships that I have with my colleagues. Um, most of them are still serving in the assembly and in the Senate. And these are relationships that I have maintained very closely. And it's very important, I think, and I can serve as a bridge. I can serve as the bridge that says, I know the, the challenges you're facing as you look at governance, as you look at the administration of, of the state affairs. Um, and I want to bring you a solution. And one of the solutions we have here is the amazing work uh, that the pharmacist is doing. So I really see myself playing that role. As I said at the very beginning, critically important to be informed by the pharmacist himself or herself and to know exactly the um, ins and outs of, of the professional details that the membership needs, membership perspective. And so I think that we are a stronger team, honestly, with um, how, how we've been reorganized. And I think I bring something that wasn't part of the association previously, and that is the many relationships I have within the state capitol, the legislature, and the governor's office as well. And it's a, a platform that I want to use uh, for the profession of pharmacy. Uh, I want to use the experience I've had um, in and looking at legislation and looking at how we're going to actually craft statewide solutions to very deep problems. And I want to be able to bring this profession forward to as a way to say, no, this can be a dramatic 
change to the system. And and one other thing that I think is, is also important, it's a little off um, that particular question, but I've been using the word, you know, health system change and, um, over and over again. But I want to, if I can, just touch briefly on the fact that we've had a lot of civil unrest and awareness of, of the fact that some of our systems, you know, and many of our systems have uh, uh, racism built in, baked in, uh, exclusion of uh, certain people from service and from what they need to be able to receive. And I, I'm really excited to be part of the pharmacy profession because I see it as one of the most inclusive elements of the healthcare system. Because of the community pharmacy work, because of, you know, long-term care facilities and our pharmacists who go into so many different settings, I'm very uh, excited to think about how pharmacy can lead towards the, the entire health system, towards being more inclusive and meeting the needs of all of our community members. Um, because I think that's what pharmacy has been doing in the nature of, of who they are as pharmacists and the work they do, I think we can be an example to other parts of the healthcare system where perhaps equity has not been a priority. So I'm also very interested in um, the role we can play as leaders, making sure that every member of the community is getting the best health service possible. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, speaking of, you know, when you were mentioning problems and working on solutions, so this, this next thing is kind of a touchy subject, but I think it's it's really important that it is addressed. It's one of the major problems that the profession is facing, and it's related to the pharmacy job market. And as you know, uh, we do have many schools mm-hmm. of pharmacy and many graduates every year. There's not enough positions to accommodate for what people would, for, for the number of pharmacists that are uh, mm-hmm. licensed to practice. And it's, it's something that I'm, I'm curious about, like a CPHA looking into this issue and working on something? And I guess, like, what are your thoughts about it? Well, I think it, it is a clearly a, a current problem. I do not think it's unique to pharmacy. I think nearly every profession has an ebb and flow in terms of uh, too many coming out of school at one time and then, you know, swinging the other way and, and ending up with a shortage. And there's many elements that can impact uh, that uh, ebb and flow. Sometimes the, the, the fact that, that an older generation doesn't retire when everyone thinks they will, or, or other changes can also impact the, the need and demand within a given profession. I know there's been talk about, you know, the fact that there's, there's um, so many schools and there's so many graduates coming out. It's, it's really not our role at, at CPHA to inject ourselves into what is happening within the, the, the academic environment and, and the schools. We don't really have that role or the ability to impact what they are doing as independent institutions. I do think that what we want to do and, and our goal here is to provide better and stronger resources for our students. I always uh, I believe that one of the most important uh, job skills, no matter what professional training you have, is actually adaptability, whether you're an attorney or a teacher or a pharmacist. Uh, and I think COVID has driven this point home uh, very, very strongly that we we have to be very highly adaptive. We can have this great base of knowledge, but if we're not going to be able to be flexible in how we use it and apply it, uh, we are going to be the ones left out. So I think there's a need for, for increased creativity. Uh, I would say that we need to, at CPHA, we want to do a much stronger job of networking 
um, for our students. Mentoring is another area where we feel we can really improve uh, our resources to the students coming out into the workplace as well. Uh, but I think that what, what one thing that we will see happen uh, is that um, the advanced practice is going to start becoming and, and other certifications and areas of specialty are going to really help direct into the marketplace how graduates can can find a niche, find a place to practice and serve as a pharmacist. Um, but the other big area where that I think is exploding right now uh, is the use of technology. And we, we do have our digital health conference coming up October 2nd to 4th. And um, just with the, the little snippets and bits I've heard about what is happening in technology uh, and as it is going to be impacting and already is impacting pharmacy, the practice of pharmacy, that is clearly an area where I think it's going to really enhance one's marketability to be able to say, I have this uh, background, I have trained learning how the devices, you know, the, these technological new monitors, devices are working are, are and being able to apply that to the patient um, health experience uh, is really an area that that's going to grow very very rapidly. But I do think it's it is also about looking outside of the traditional setting, and I know many many folks are doing that. But one area that I will say that I think there can be a lot of growth in is in um, government affairs and advocacy for the profession. And I yes, I'm biased that I want to have more people in places of influence where we can have a very strong high level network for our advocacy efforts for the profession. But there are so many with every new technological advance, that means there's some new startup, some new company. And Hopefully, they have a pharmacist on board, right, helping them understand what is needed and, you know, how they can be developing their technology in a way that's going to help patients the most. So, I would say that those are those are some of the, you know, answers that, that, that we would have right now, but we do want to hear. Um, we want to hear... This is something I'm, I would I would like to hear back from the folks listening in. What are your suggestions? I mean, short of, of of wishing that we had fewer students, which is really beyond our control, what can we do to um, really support the marketplace? And you know, are there other ways that we need to look at? You know, are there other things constricting the job market that we need to look at that we that we can address? Uh, and that's something that genuinely I'd love you, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this, they'd like to send me an email. Uh, I'd love to have that conversation and get that added perspective. You know, thank you for being open to having that conversation. So, so going off of that, what's the best way that someone can, you know, reach out to CPHA or find out more about digital health conference or reach out to you personally for any of these uh these questions or discussions they might want to have yes and um certainly there's a wealth of information on our website and we have an entire digital health conference website lists the speakers and everything that's going to be happening there and and it is it is definitely the place to be because it is the future of pharmacy it it truly will be the future of pharmacy and one of my goals for CPHA is that we're anticipating the future, right? We want to be thinking, where do we need to be five years from now or 10 years from now? And I see the digital health conference, the speakers that are coming, 
they are the ones who are going to be lighting the way forward. They're the ones that are going to be showing us what direction the future will take. You know, the last thing we want to be is like the old, um, you know, American car manufacturers who kept building giant gas guzzlers while the Japanese were making the little, you know, sedans and, and our, you know, all of our, our big car companies are like, what happened? You know, it's like, well, you weren't even planning or thinking ahead. So that's really important, I think, for us as an association to, to, to stay in a state of anticipation of change and be ready for it. Uh, so the website is a great resource, but I welcome folks to reach out to me personally. My email is esponia at cpha.com. There's also a CEO email, but I think it takes an extra step before it reaches me. So feel free to, to email me directly at esponia uh, at cpha.com. And then you can reach out to me on my cell phone. I, I like text messages. I got to admit voicemail is a, is a hassle, but a text message is great. Uh, and uh, Tony will share your, my cell phone with you, but it's um, 925-323-6897. So I really um, welcome the conversation, the dialogue, the creative ideas. And really in this time where we can't connect personally, I think it's more important than ever that we're able to at least connect over email and text. Awesome. You know, thanks for sharing. I'll put the information to his show notes and uh, the post, the social media post for this uh, episode. So anyone can reach out to you if they had any more questions or concerns. But, you know, to be respectful of your time, I just want to say thank you again so much for taking some time to be on the podcast today and sharing your perspectives and CPHA's uh, vision for the profession. Well, thank you so much, Tony. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And maybe in the months to come, we can pick, you know, some of these interesting topics or really relevant topics and dig into them a little more and and even have a panel discussion at some point. I think that could be really interesting as well on, on some of these, uh, you know, issues that we're facing. But I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you and look forward to keeping the dialogue going. All right. If you guys like this episode, please rate us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or any of your other favorite podcasting services. And you can find out more about our organization by visiting ocpha.org. Or you can follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. But until next time, OCPHA is signing off, reminding you to get determined, get inspired. <laughs> <laughs>